Hello everybody and welcome to the Below Average Film Review, where the films aren't always below average, but we certainly are. I'm here joined by Evan and Mega, and I am the host, Ryan. So, for this episode, we're going to be talking about Blade Runner, the influential 1982 sci-fi film, where it wasn't really received well when it first came out, it was seen as okay by critics, but nowadays it is seen as a masterpiece of the sci-fi genre, as well as filmmaking. Being directed by Ridley Scott and starring Harrison Ford in his prime definitely helps with that. But for this film, people have a lot of different opinions and interpretations on the film. But what are, what are, what are some of your opinions on this film? Well, personally, right, if I'm going at this on a personal standpoint, I thought the film was... Mm -hmm. I guess I could be classified more as its original audience. I'm not old enough, of course, but... I didn't personally enjoy it as much as some others would. From a critical standpoint, I could absolutely see why people love it so much. Like, for, if you observe it from this kind of critical eye, it is masterful and beautiful. But on this personal level, I didn't enjoy it as much. Like, I've watched it twice now. The first time I was sticking more to that opinion. It's kind of grown on me since then. But my opinion's still kind of wavering back and forth, like some kind of crazy metronome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Megan, what do you what do you think of the film? I, I love it. it. Even on a first watch, I've watched the film both three times now, and I think it's still phenomenal. I love, I love the characters. I love um, the world it's set in and the universe. I love um, the moral dilemmas and the questions it raises and all the trials and tribulations the characters go through throughout the film. And just everything about it, to me, it's the epitome of what a good sci-fi film is. Well, for me... I would say I thought it was pretty good when I first watched it. I didn't pay full attention to me watching it back then, but after rewatching it specifically for this podcast, I gotta say I love the film. I think it's really good. I think it's one of the best sci-fi films out there. And the thing I like specifically about it is the visual style. I really love the colors and just the the world itself. It all looks so good, you know. So yeah, I completely agree. A very pleasing mm. visual aesthetic. <laughs> We're talking about the visual aesthetic. Um. The, the visuals are a very strong part of the film, and is one of the most and it's uh, one of the most common things that people often remember about the film. Now, the visual style is very important in terms of uh, creating the genre of Blade Runner, and Blade Runner is distinct for being a very, very stylized and well-recognized sci-fi film. So, what what are some of the elements that you think? that take from the visual and go into making it such a recognisable sci-fi film? Well, if we're talking just visuals specifically, because like if it's just visuals, I can't talk about the soundtrack yet, and I love the soundtrack, but that's the highest point. Well, I mean, you can uh, talk about the soundtrack if you like. <laughs> I think, okay, in that case, I think the visuals and the soundtrack blend really nicely. Like, the visuals, very firmly set in stone, especially by modern era, with all like, the kind of holographic elements to it. It feels... Like, a good example would be, like, modern-day Neo-Tokyo, but it feels like that. Mm. Goddamn steroids. It's... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's... Like, it, it, the neon kind of element of it, it's... The dark... The, yeah, God. <laughs> I'm very no, good no, no. at speaking, by the way. <laughs> That's fine, it's fine. Um, The kind of neon lighting put on this kind of dark background, like, the, the colour palette blends really well together, and it's kind of blindingly almost in your face but in a very good way i think and mm. 
it's quite hard lighting as well. It just feels very much like science fiction. Like if you were to step into this world, your mind would just go, "Wow, I am now in the future." Hmm. So it is very well uh, shown. It is, especially with the colors and all that. Yeah, I com- I I completely agree with Rob. Uh, so I think I I the visuals of Blade Runner like the it's set um the film's set in LA but LA twenty nineteen but which mm. for them it was the future and like, all the buildings and the the cars and the just the location of this well back then the idea of future um futuristic LA it really does set the genre it does it does set the genre for the film. And set to tone as well, all the dark. Because early at that time, it's so dreary. Like, mm. while it looks futuristic, all the colours are just... While it is, you know, you've got, like, a really cool colour palette, they, they are quite... Dull. It's not dull as such, because you've got, like, the vibrancy of the city. But especially, mm. like, on the ground, it's so dull. And that really does set the tone for the film. This isn't a happy... This isn't, like... An ideal future. This is a future where um, people are struggling. Yeah, that re- yeah that really does bring in like like another genre of the film, the really dystopia aspect. As most of the time, they're on the streets, as you mentioned, it's shown with the blue color, and there's just something about the blue being used in the visuals that really do add it to just it just feels more futuristic. It feels more sci-fi, but it also feels a lot more dystopian as well. It adds a very nice feeling to it. And then all, and then linked as well, shown uh, beside, you know, the big, the big like skyscrapers, of course, like the advertisements everywhere, the cramped streets, the poor living conditions of some of the people in the city. It really, visually, it really does just hit on its, uh, the two genres of dystopia and sci-fi. It, it 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 does it really well, and but it also it also has some of the more futuristic sci-fi elements as well that are less like less obvious. Oh no, they're more obviously linked to sci-fi as well, because uh, obviously you got the flying cars and all, and all that. I'd mostly argue, and the replicants as well are pretty were pretty pretty staple uh, staples of sci-fi at that point. But it's it's really the visual style that gives it the. That that had the influence that it did on the sci-fi genre at the time, and it looks it just looks very very good. Do any of any? Sorry, <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna ask. Do you have um uh, any other opinions on uh, it, how it's influenced the sci the sci-fi genre and just in general? Oh yeah, actually that's what I was about to say. So I'm sorry for cutting you off there. No, but, no, um. Uh, I, I feel like a great example of how it was influenced, even like, not by modern modern cinema, because we are in 2021 now, but modern onwards mm. into the 2000s, pushing into that era. I feel like Blade mm. Runner definitely had influence on things like uh, The Minority Report. Like, having watched them again mm. since watching that film, there's a lot of visual similarities I found, actually. So you can see how it's kind of carried on through the years. It's left its mark, and people are still following those kind of rules and conventions to this day. Mm. Yeah, but yeah. Go on. I was just gonna basically add on. To me, it is it is such an instrumental sci-fi film. Like a lot of um magazines, for example, rank it as the best sci-fi film. And I can see why, because it has so many of those tropes and introduced so many well, it cemented so many sci-fi ideas, like 
the replicants and like AI, which we see throughout sci-fi, the flying cars, like the futuristic city, it cements so many of those um, sci-fi tropes that we still see today in modern day sci-fi films. It's it, it's so influential. It really did set the path for the films on its time. I definitely agree with both of you then. Uh, but the film as well, it also takes on, amazingly as well, I would say, it takes on sort of a neo-noir <clears throat> uh, kind of approach as well, because at the end of the day, it, it, Rick Deckard is a detective, and it does take on... It, it, it really does almost modernise what uh, was originally done, in obviously, in mostly in the 1940s and 50s with the noir style. And it takes, it it takes that into... Well, it combines it with sci-fi, but it also takes it into a modern era as well. But it still uses like a lot of thick shadows and a mystery as well that are uh, they're like that are sort of just tropes of noir genre. But what do you what do you guys think about it as a neo noir? I think it definitely conforms to that in some regard because um, if you go to like, the costume kind of tropes as well of the noir genre before we go into neo noir, for example, oh, everyone's kind of like the males are all suit and booted, the women are all in dresses, and the primary characters of this film all, by some regard, conform to that. Like Rick isn't in a full suit, but he's got like the kind of suit and tie of one. There's Terrell mm -hmm. who's wearing a suit at one point, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes. Um, yeah, I know. Oh god, is it Rachel whose name is? Terrible Rachel, names. Ra Rachel's his love interest, yeah. Yes, that's the one. She's not wearing a dress of sorts, but she's kind of in this kind of fancier attire that you'd more expect from a noir film. And I think mm. that's what kind of adds... Yeah. I, I know Neo is kind of like, you know, neon on it, but I feel like for me, if I'm taking my own personal interpretation of that into that, I feel like that really helps it conform to neo-noir, because it's pulling the old stereotypes but giving them a new spin yeah well i'd, I'd say it would it almost invent neo noir i'd say mm. i i agree i think another one another factor of this is um as well as like the costume being set really set like setting the tone for neo noir i think the location because mm. if you think of old film noir films you think of like very like you think of cities with detectives you, th you think of them in those kind of costumes, suited and booted, as Anne said, and mm. but then you also think of the location, you think of these dingy cities, and I feel like Blade Runner just took that to the, fu the futuristic level, but I think it still mm. encompasses the, like, the um, feel of those um, noir cities. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. It, it really does elevate... Uh, the noir style into a great combination with sci-fi and even the dystopia and it really just gives it a, it gives the it gives the whole world just such a unique feel to it it doesn't feel like you've seen it before so i'd say it is very very it's very well distinct visually unique and distinct looks brilliant apt descriptions for that, honestly what i said unique and distinct are very apt descriptions for that film especially like... yeah I'm I'm still thinking about costumes to be honest, because I, I thought of this while I was watching it actually. Um there's this kind of weird blend of different cultures, even 
stuff that looks like it harks back to 200 plus years ago because there's a scene in like a bar or a nightclub i think where the women are wearing dresses that look like they belong to like the edwardian era or like some kind of period piece and i think that actually mm. plays really nicely into dystopia because there's, al there's also the architecture of um Terrell's office where we first meet rachel it kind of has this yeah. ancestral vibe it doesn't feel technological it doesn't feel like a lab it feels like it belongs in like a temple or something almost it it's this weird yeah. kind of style that adds into the sci-fi element that brings out the dystopia, I think, because everything's kind of eclectic and bizarre. It's like, this doesn't feel like a regular sci-fi society. Something, it, it's very visually appealing, but something doesn't feel quite right. Well, the film, the film does fit into the subgenre of cyberpunk, specifically. It did heavily influence almost you could say create help the uh, help create the cyberpunk genre for sci-fi where you got the mega conglomerate the mega conglomerate uh, skyscrapers dominating the skies meanwhile you got the poor overcrowded streets below so it does fall into that very well now you got anything else to say Beyond okay. comment, no. Well, the film, the film, obviously, it goes way beyond just the visuals as well. Blade Runner's, Blade Runner's one of the sci-fi films that is able to that is able to hit upon the core element of sci-fi, which is, well, humans, and and one of the questions that comes with that: what is it to be human? Now, the film's uh questions this with the idea and the creation of replicants robots or androids however you define it that look like human they act like human they are essentially human but they're not 100 percent human they're close to being humans though and the film really does play with this idea of uh, actual humans forming emotional attachments to these um replicants and also with replicants being programmed to die early, the idea of why should they have to die early? So, it's a very deep philosophical idea. I'm just wondering, what do, what do, what do you guys think of this idea? How do you think the film represents it well? And like, what are your own opinions on this idea of replicants? Sorry. Well, Sorry. the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> You know I, need... <laughs> no. I need a minute. <laughs> okay, well, Meg Megan, what's what's your opinion on uh, what I just asked? This is this the moral dilemma of this is my personally my favorite part of the film. This really? is the bit where I can I can really engage with it because it's so the moral dilemma of what it makes what it is to be human and whether the replicants mm -hmm. are human and what we consider to be human. It's so so interesting it's such an interesting debate like yeah because we've got um rick um who you know we are to you know we are you know persuade we think he is the human he is you know what we can relate to but then you've got roy who to me yeah. i think roy is the most interesting character because um he represents he represents the replicant who wants to be human he doesn't want to be constrained by this He's forced to be a utility. He's an object that, once his like use is fulfilled, then he's thrown away. It's mm. it's it's 
he wants to break that and he wants to be an individual. He wants, he doesn't see why because he's manufactured and he wasn't, he's not a human as we like define it. He's not biologically a human. Then why can't he live a life like we can? It's such an interesting debate because you could even see in the end, Roy is the most hum humane character of them all because at the end of the film, you've got um, Roy, despite, you know, um, you've got um, Deckard who kills the woman he loves. He still mm -hmm. shows Deckard mercy and saves his life. Yeah. And yeah. that to me could be considered the most human element of them all. And you've got his final line, which is such a good, it's such a good line. I can't, the um, memories of, and it then being lost like tears in the rain. Yeah, memories are like tears in the rain. It's to me, it's the it brings all those genres and all those questions and all those themes together in one in like one line. Yeah, it, it's so interesting that line. And to me, it really it does. It's what what is it to be human? And that's why at some point Roy can be considered the most human character because he does save Deckard's life. Because possibly the only way he thinks he can live on is through Deckard's memory. Yeah, I mean you've brought you've brought in a lot of a lot of different questions right there about are you, uh, about Roy and whether he, and his two main character who can you consider that to be? Um, I mean, yeah, you talked about a lot there. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. The anarchy podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, let's focus on the character of Roy first of all. It's like he. He's mostly a character. His main driving motiv motivation is that he hates humans because, uh, partly because they see him as like you know they see him as as you know an object, disposable. But it's also because he 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 knows what it's like to live in fear, and that is what he wants humans to know: is what it's like to live in fear, what it's like to be a replicant, and that that leads into his character motivation of. Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll let you speak in a minute, and let me just finish this. Sorry. <laughs> of, of saving Deckard at the end, because Deckard, that for the entire like final cli uh, climax, final ten minutes, was living in fear because he thought he was going to die. And since they, and since uh, Deckard had come to the understanding of what it's like to live in fear, Roy had no reason to hate him at that point, and so he could accept saving him. So I do think Roy is a very interesting character, and there's obviously more to him as well. Obviously, wanting to extend his life, then finding out he can't do that. But um, Evan, what were you planning to say about Roy? Yeah, dinner is my interchange for a second because he like legitimately just said that line. He wanted people to know what it was like to live in fear as Rick mm. was dangling off the edge of a building. It's the same yeah. line that oh god, I can't remember the replicant's name, but the one that Rick sh actually no, Rachel shoots him, not Rick, but the one that gets shot as he's about to murder Rick the first time. <laughs> Yeah, he says the exact same thing. Yeah. They seem they seem to be driven by this primary motive that Roy possibly had enforced prior to the start of the film, and that is that showing the humans what it is like to live in fear, like a replicant would. I think that's a really yeah, it's coming to me in a standing. fear of death. And yeah, I I honestly the more I think about it, the more I really enjoy Roy's character because he has depth for considering how little he's lived. He has such like a massive degree of depth and character. And I, I think mm. that's really interesting, because when he's first shown in the film, he's kind of presented in this way that makes us really dislike him, because he seems kind of vile and villainous. 
he's very easily vilified as the film begins, like when we first see him. But as it progresses, mm. that that's kind of stripped back, and we see him as someone who just wants people to understand the suffering and pain he has experienced, inflicted on the species that we are. Like this is all we has essentially put this on him in some regard, because if we're relating to Rick and the other characters that are human in this film, we have essentially put this pain on him. So he wants mm. like us and the other characters in the film to understand that, that you know he is suffering. All of them are suffering. I've kind of gone off on a tangent here, and I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I was going to say, I'm very glad you actually brought up how we saw him at the start of the film, because I think that's, I think that was a great point, and something that I uh, thought about, is that when when we see him at the start of the film, he kind of just seems like a one-dimensional villain, you know? Yeah, entirely. But the more we learn, like, um, the more we learn about him, the more we see him, and uh, just the more we see from him interacting with uh, other characters, we, we, we start to gain more of an understanding from his perspective, and we start to understand his reasons for doing what he does. You know, obviously, with it mostly being murder in Tyrell, being the biggest uh, uh, crime that he does. But we can come to a reasoned understanding, because facing having to come face-to-face -face with your own death is, well, it's scary. And that can cause uh, people, even replicants, to act out like that. So I, th I think he, he does become sort of, a, sort of like a sympathetic character that you can understand. And it, I think he's got he's got he's got an interesting uh, character, not in terms of their one to one interactions, but like how their characters are. He's I think he's got an interesting relationship with Rick with actually Rick Deckard, because you could almost make an argument that how because of how Rick acts throughout the entire film, you could still make an argument of him being. Uh, as Megan brought up in her original point of a less human character than some of the replicants. You see, you, yeah. you see what I'm meaning by that? Yeah, he's yeah. human, but he likes humanity. Because exactly, but I'm not I mean, lacking it. Yeah, not entirely. Yeah, of course, it, but... as instances, he still treats replicants as not uh, really human. And obviously, at the beginning of the film, by the end, he does uh, treat them as. A human, at least, because he does in love uh, love Rachel. Uh, but you also got the scene where he kind of forces himself on Rachel, which is it's interesting to look at that and think: is that him, you know, kind of being in love, and that's just how he acts, or is that him still seeing her as an object, and kind of forces him himself upon the object that he sees? You see he's what I mean? Yeah. He's probably my thought was when I was watching it when he forced he kind of forces himself on Rachel. It, he's probably going through this moral dilemma in his head about, but she's a replicant. Yeah, I'm feeling these. I'm feeling attracted and feeling emotional towards her. He's probably going through that complete yeah. dilemma. So you're seeing her. So you're seeing him as more sympathetic. Yeah. I mean, there are sympathetic qualities to him. Like, uh, if you remember the scene where he starts to recount her memories, she's. Uh, uh, saying her memory, saying she has to be human if she can remember these, but he starts recounting the ones that she already knows. And then at that, she starts to cry, because it's... I mean, that would emotionally ruin you. And then he feels bad. But he doesn't feel... He doesn't react to the lev to how you think someone who's just destroyed someone's emotional realisation of their like humanity has. He mostly reacts just like he feels like he shouldn't have said it. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I think, obviously, him still going on to kill the replicants is another point to the, he can be less humane. Uh, but I think, like, the overall, like, the overall character relationship between replicants and humans is that there's not really a distinct line on what makes them different in terms of what makes a human, really. Because especially with Rachel, she has memories as well. You know? Yeah. So, like, it's... The, the, the line's blurred. And there's obvious, and there's some replicants who you can consider more humane than uh, some of the human characters, even, who are uncaring of the replicants, despite them clearly being human enough and looking human that you think it would garner some sympathy. Yeah, but, um, no. Oh, no, I was going to ask, I was going to ask for your opinion, so I want oh, to hear them. I was just going to say, going back to this idea of memories, and because memories, they arguably, they make us, partly they make us who we are. Like, they, oh. what we are like, like what our decisions are, based upon. So, what then says that replicants can't be humans if if they have memories? It's such an, it's another interesting debate. Why can't replicants, again, going back to why can't replicants be considered humans just because they're not biologically, you know, biologically, um, like, born the way they are? Because they're manufactured. Why can't they be humans if they show human emotions, if they have human memories, you know? Yeah, that's the, that's the question. So Seen good. in the film. It, it is really good. Because we've, we, we've seen... We, within the film itself, you also see um, another uh, relationship between humans and... It's not, not quite replicants, but almost robots, androids kind of thing with Sebastian and the toys he made. Because mm. they're clearly alive... Are they sentient per se? Hard to say. It seems like it, but he calls them his friends. So even and a replicant is obviously much more advanced and much more human than what he creates. So it does add that layer to it as well of 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 certain individuals being able to accept replicants as people and being able to see them as friends. And I think it does add this quite. Like, uh, like a societal, like complexity to it, because obviously everyone's got different. It's not one uh, main opinion of replicants bad; they bad. Oh, yeah. It's it's a bunch of different opinions uh, from a bunch of different people, and obviously by the end of the film, we see Rick Dakar's opinion has changed. As he runs away, Rachel helps him escape. Uh, oh, yeah. Evan, you have any? Did you have any thoughts on uh, kind of replicants? The film does a very good line. Line, and the film does a very good job of blurring the line between what makes them machine and what makes them human. Because it, it's hard to gauge how far it really goes. I think. It, it, I just think it's really brilliantly done, actually. In mm. that regard. Yeah, I yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Like, if you just if you like took one of the characters and said, "Is this a replicant or is this a human?" To most people, they wouldn't be able to tell, obviously. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting discussion. I think a great way that it kind of blows that line as well is by having the mixture of opinions, well, because it plays nicely. It's like it does a good representation of society and how ev there's no unanimous opinion on anything. You will always have someone who's for it and someone who opposes it. 
I think that makes yeah. it very good for the audience as well because it makes them kind of encourages them to make up their own minds because they're seeing these different opinions and they can choose to side with any of them. Yeah, makes you yeah makes you think, makes you come to your own interpretations and opinions, and it makes you question what really is humanity, which I mean is what sci-fi is meant to do and is why this film is. Just... It's why it's just so railroad garden and it's so good, you know? Yeah, 100% agree. I agree with both you there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's very good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, very big <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Agreed, agreed. Um, so, any, do you guys have any other points, any other characters you want to mention, any, any other moments of... that you'd like to mention, really? I... Want to go back to looking at Roy for a second? I know we've already been over him, but one of, like, no, one of the most interesting conflicts and dilemmas, I think, is the one between him and Tyrell. Because even though that, mm. that death is gruesome, to say the least, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it quite far. I mean, personally, I kind of enjoyed that because I was like, oh, that's dark, <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, but yeah. I think that's a really clever kind of concept because I don't think he necessarily wanted to murder Tyrell. He just wanted... He wanted his life to be extended. I think that mm. when he found out, founded, found out that he couldn't have what he desired, he couldn't live as a normal human, it kind of... It adds to it as well, but on top of that, facing Tyrell, not only is he committing a crime, but at the same time, Tyrell is really, if you're going to consider Raptor's more as human, Tyrell has already committed a crime against him. Because Roy is essentially facing his own murderer because he was designed to die in four years. This man has basically yeah. killed him before he's even started his life. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I think it kind of adds this really interesting moral conflict to who's more in the wrong here. They're both technically already dead, so is him killing him as in Roy? Is Roy killing Tyrell wrong if Tyrell's caused Roy's death in advance? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's, it's definitely a conflicted one. I think you can understand, you know, obviously both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I do think though, I I want I want you I want to quickly pose this question to you about Roy's character as well. When he originally went to the Tyrell headquarters, do you think he had any intentions to murder Tyrell at all? I don't think he did actually, because I think as. I don't. Forced, like, uh, if mm -hmm. you'd asked that question at the start of the film, when you see him doing his more atrocious acts and he's more vilified, I think the blat mm. blatant answer is yes, he was going to kill Tyrell, but as the depth gets added to his character, you kind of start to think, was that his intention, or did, like, I don't think it was personally, at all, I don't think he won that, it only happened because it kind of boiled over in rage and all these kind of conflicting feelings in him that kind of proves more that he is human as well. Kind of by nature, he is more humane because he's feeling all these things, these conflicting feelings. But I don't think he ever intended to kill Tyrell. All he wanted was answers and hopefully what he wanted, which was an extension of his life and an extension of Pris's life. Hmm. Hmm. I, I, I completely agree. I'm basically just reiterating what I haven't said. I think it's <laughs> what... what um. Uh, Roy's react. I think it was just a reaction because he wants this so bad. He wants to be able to extend his life and be able to live a life that arguably he deserves. Um, mm. He wants to be able to um, carry on and you know, when Tyrell can't give him that, he lashes out and he's, he's basically just saying, you know, found, he's 
this is death sentence, isn't it? Isn't it really? Because he just basically found out I can't carry on. This is it. I'm gonna die, and there's nothing I can do about it. It's, and mm. I think it's just a reaction of, well, it it is. It's just to me, it's just a blatant reaction, a extreme reaction, but mm. a reaction. Yeah, definitely a reaction. Uh, what it, what it sort of feels like to me is, he, uh, Roy had, Roy's only sympathy for humans comes from if they've obviously li uh, lived in fear like he has, you know? So he, so they can, so he then sympathizes with them, is why he would seemingly save Deckard at the end of the film. And I think when he finds out that he can't get his life extended and that he's going to die, he seems to almost revert back to the philosophy that he and uh, some, and the other Nexus 6 um, uh, replicants kind of had, where it's, well, we're going to live a short life, so so should you, and we're going to kill you. Because that's kind of the philosophy they have, and why uh, one of the Nexus 6 attacks Deckard, that, that's, that's some of the things he says, is that I'm going to die, so so should you. And I, I, I kind of think that he, that uh, Roy has that philosophy, and then he kind of, and then he kind of, he he meets. I think Sebastian specifically on kind of changes his view on it a bit, because Sebastian, because he he takes care of his girlfriend, assuming their girlfriend of Prim, yeah, mm -hmm. and then he also invites them in and helps him meet Tyrell. So you can almost see that as you know, as a human helping. Uh, Roy would obviously almost change his opinion of it, and throughout it, Sebastian seems to almost be in at least slight fear of the power and uh, just presence that Roy has. So I think that could almost influence him, and then if he was actually able to get his life extended, he wouldn't have any... He, he wouldn't find any reason to kill Tyrell. But because he can't get his life extended, the only philosophy that he thinks can really... Uh, work for his short life is in terms of uh, getting what he wants and making himself somewhat happy is, I'm living a short life, so should you. So then he kills him. And because Tyrell, you know, he realize, he tries to almost comfort uh, Roy as the surrogate father figure, instead of being an almost like fear of him and what he would do, uh, Roy doesn't have any sympathy for that because of what Tyrell essentially did to him and put him through on when he was um, on uh, part of Nexus Six. So I do, I do think like it's a very short scene, but I do think it's packed with a lot of uh, potential character development and also is very interesting for the psyche of uh, Roy as a villain. You guys think of that? Yeah, I agree. It is such a it is such a packed scene. It is so brilliant in the way that Roy's character in that environment is able to develop because it is that that is Roy's destiny. It's basically Roy finding out his destiny. It really yeah. is, and his Great. reaction to that, and then Tyrell as well. What Tyrell has done and that moral conflict of is Ty Tyrell. Is is Tyrell? You know, Tyrell created these machines just for to die. Is he a good person? Depends. Yeah, Depends exactly. 
He's created these um, machines that are meant to do great things, but at the same time, he's subsequently enslaved them while making them human. Yeah. Sucks, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so do you guys, do you guys, do you guys have any, any of, uh, uh, discussions you'd like to bring up about, uh, really replicants at all? Uh, no, I think so. I don't think I have more okay. to say on we, the replicants. We, well, we, we have talked about them exhaustively, and I think we've had very, <laughs> I think, I think it's been great. Yeah, yeah. the very, the film that um, a very good job posing the question, we've had a very good talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, very good film. Hmm. So, <clears throat> let's 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 wrap this up a bit. I I want you to give me a brief a, br a brief reason why this why you think this film's as good as it is. Just brief. I don't want like a twelve thousand words verbal essay. I just want brief reasons why you think this film is deserving of what you think it uh, think of it. Either of you go. Ah. Megan, would you like sure. to go first? Um, sure. I think it does, to me, it is the epitome of a really good sci-fi film because it raises these questions that an audience really has to interact with and really think about and contemplate. It has such interesting characters and and it's such an interesting world that results in all of these questions about humanity and um you know, um, we're hum what hu you know, what is being human? I think yeah. and I think that and while it is distant, it is science fiction, it's not that too disconnected from our reality. It's things we can still relate to and still, you know, have an emotional response to. Hmm. Uh Evan, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. I think that, like overall I think the film really handles a lot of what it brings in in a manner that leaves it kind of fresh and stuck in the audience's mind for a long time after they've seen it. And I think the way that it kind of meticulously crafts this kind of society and these moral dilemmas really makes it stay present within a person's mind who's seen it because like, there's no concise, conclusive answer to it. It's this kind of ongoing debate that I think even presses almost to say, especially with the introduction of the sequel a couple of years ago. And... I just think it's really cleverly done overall. Mm. I mean, yeah, great points. The thing that I love about this film, and the thing that really, really makes me highly rated as a sci-fi film, it, it, it is the visuals and the soundtrack. I just love the world. I love the look of the world. It, I think it just looks amazing. I love how there's the small bits of dialogue that goes to the world building, and I think how the music as well just adds to it. I think it's just phenomenal. As well, as well, obviously, some of the uh, the themes that are prevalent throughout the film, they add to the world brilliantly, but it, it really is just uh, the visuals that really puts it above and beyond for me as a, as a phenomenal sci-fi film that I love. So, that, that's, our, that's, that's our opinions on uh, Blade Runner, 1982 Blade Runner. That's all we have to say upon it. And uh, do you guys have any ever closing thoughts you'd like to say uh, for the end of the podcast? I found a fun little fact during this, actually, which I thought was quite ironic, really. And yeah. a little bit of research while I wasn't talking. I was still paying attention. But um, what I came across was, because 
this film is set in 2019 Los Angeles. So I yeah. took it upon myself to think, ah, what's the comparison between that 2019 and this one? And what I found to be quite ironic is that violent crime went down 3.6% and we witnessed multiple murders in this film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> Interesting. It's not, like, you know, relevant at all, but I just thought, hey, that's quite funny. That is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> Any closing thoughts, Megan? I think my closing thoughts would be, I think it's such a good film, because while it is disconnected from our reality, it is, you know, it's, you know, it's sci-fi, it's science fiction for a reason. It's not meant to be completely real. It's not too disconnected, and it's not disconnected so we can't emotionally respond to it. Because if we weren't able to emotionally respond to it, we wouldn't have been able to speak this longer. And I think that's what it does so well. It really does make you invest in these characters and care about them and the world they live in enough so you can have a response to it and it's not too disconnected from our reality i mean yeah it is brilliant yeah so uh this this has been this has been our podcast episode on blade runner this has been the below average film review I hope I hope all the listeners have enjoyed watching i've certainly just, uh i've enjoyed our discussion i think it's been pretty good yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, wonderful. Uh, so if, if anyone's listened to this, this is the first episode. Don't know how many people will be listening, but if you are listening, thank you for listening. Really appreciate it. And we will hopefully uh, see anyone who's out watching this next time.